Good morning. Unbeknownst to Clint, he took a lot of reading off of my plate today. Uh, That was uh, Isaiah chapter 52, and we'll be looking at that uh, a little bit earlier, a little bit later. Um, So we're nearing the end of this series, um, and I hope thus far it's been beneficial to you that uh, you've had the opportunity to reflect back. Uh, perhaps at the start of the good life that you now live uh, as a uh, person reborn. Um, And for those who perhaps have not started on the journey of the good life, it's helped you to better understand what what that life is about. Um, As I mentioned, it starts with rebirth at baptism. It's at baptism that we become a child of God. It's at baptism in which we become His possession. Something that will tie directly into what we're talking about this morning. Because we belong to the Lord. That was our second lesson in this series. And this life that we live is one that we live by faith. And that we have been set apart by God. We've been made holy as His His chosen people, as His nation. And as such, because we are His possession, because we are His children, we are guarded by His power. We spent the last two weeks talking about that. But with blessings, much like a wise man named Ben once told his son, with great power comes great responsibility. It wasn't his son, it was his nephew, but Spider-Man reference. If you've never watched Spider-Man, that's... But with the blessings that we have as part of the good life, there are great responsibilities that we have as well. There are obligations that come with our new opportunities. There are duties that come with our new calling. You see, the Christian has been called to serve. To serve God, to serve the church, to serve man in general. Turn over to Hebrews Chapter 9, we'll start here this morning. And here we see that we have been saved in order to serve. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14 says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works in order to serve the living God? We have been saved to serve the living God. Paul echoes this in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where he says, Present yourselves, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. A living sacrifice. So the concept of servanthood or servitude It's a significant part of what it means to be a Christian. It's a significant part of the good life in which we live. So that our service to God might be more acceptable and fruitful, we need to consider the greatness of servanthood. Being a servant doesn't sound all that nice, does it? But you see, being a servant is an honorable position. The title of servant was what many great men in the Old Testament were called. 
Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 26 through 27, Moses is praying and he says, I pray to the Lord, O Lord God, do not destroy your people and your heritage, whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not regard the stubbornness of this people or their wickedness or their sin. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were called your servants. Moses was called your servant. Joshua, upon his death, was called the servant of the Lord. Numbers chapter 14, verse 24, talks about Caleb. Oh, got his attention. Talks about Caleb. He says in verse 24, But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. God Himself called Caleb my servant. Job was also called my servant. Isaiah called my servant. And all the prophets in Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 25, are referred to my servants by God. The New Testament writers called themselves servants. If you look at the opening of almost every single epistle, we have James calling himself a servant. Paul in Romans chapter 1 and Philippians chapter 1 calls himself a servant of the Lord. And in Philippians he adds Timothy, a servant of the Lord. Peter calls himself a servant. Jude calls himself a servant. Turn over to Revelation chapter 1 verse 1. Now this isn't an epistle, but it is a foreword introducing this, this book. Verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Notice that revelation was given by an angel to his servant, John. For what purpose? For who? For His servants. For us. For His servants. We are His servants. Now this brings us to what some call the reason for the season. Referring to Christ and Christmas. I always snicker at that saying because Christ is the reason for every season. John 1 tells us that. You see, tomorrow is a day in which many treat as a day to remember the birth of Christ. And it's often done so in the sense of a birthday. Maybe that's because our, our culture has over-commercialized it so much, even, even the birthday aspect. But to the origins of the holiday of Christmas, or Christ Mass, it's about Christ being sent out. That's what Mass means in the Catholic sense. Sending out. So perhaps in the spirit of what Christmas was originally intended to be, we should reflect on Jesus being sent out from the realm of heaven into the realm of flesh to dwell with and like men. To become a servant. To teach His disciples to serve the Master as He does. And Jesus accomplished this not just in words, but He also did so with His actions. 
And it all goes back to Isaiah chapter 52, in which uh, Clint read from this morning. If you want to turn over there, I won't reread everything that, that Clint read, because he read exactly what I was going to read this morning. Isaiah chapter 52, starting in verse 13, all the way through the end of chapter 53. But perhaps this week you may go back, as we talked about this morning in our class about studying the Bible, take some time this week and go back and read this section. Perhaps tomorrow, as many celebrate Christmas, we can reflect on the man that was sent, who was despised and rejected, pierced for our transgressions. You see, Jesus was foretold here in Isaiah chapter 52. He was foretold to be the suffering servant. Sometimes being a parent feels like being a suffering servant, doesn't it? But he was foretold to be a suffering servant. One that was came that came that was despised that that bore our iniquities that took on our burdens. Turn over to Matthew chapter twenty. Matthew chapter twenty, starting in verse uh, twenty-five here. We'll start in verse 24. When the ten disciples heard this, they became indignant with the two brothers. These were the sons of Zebedee and the mom. Everybody, maybe you remember this story. The mom standing up for her sons and saying, I want a, I want a great position for my kids in heaven. Right? That's basically what happened. And the disciples were indignant against the two brothers. And Jesus called them over, verse 25, and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, And those in high positions act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. If it was our Savior, our Lord's task to come into this world to serve other people, how much more is it our responsibility to follow His example? Even as our Lord, even as our Master, He exemplified the servitude that He desires of His disciples. Look at uh, John chapter 13. Starting in verse 12. This, of course, is the section in which Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, a task that was often uh, delegated to the lowest of servants, washing the dirty feet of a traveling uh, person, usually their master who had been out wandering, walking, possibly walking in the fields or walking the dirty streets of the town. Uh, If you've ever walked around barefoot anywhere, uh, 
you know how dirty your feet get very quickly, especially in a dry, arid environment uh, in which there is a lot of dirt and a lot of dust. Well, the task of that servant would be to wash the feet. And Jesus got down and he had taken off his outer garments. He had humbled himself to that of a servant and washed their feet. Verse 12, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, whenever Jesus says that, he says, it means pay attention. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. The beginning of Revelation, we are called his servants. That his revelation was delivered to John through an angel for his servants to learn. What an honor to be called his servants, as he did the other great men that we read about in the Bible, men that we look to as examples, including Jesus. And he will continue to see us as his servants if we put into practice the concepts of servitude. And the first one of those concepts is absolute obedience. You see, the term servant in the Greek is doulos. Now, many translations today translate the term doulos to mean bondservant or servant. But the definition of it is slave. But many translations have changed the word from slave to be servant or bondservant because of the negative connotations that the term slave holds thanks to the brutal, dehumanizing institution of the 19th century America. If you have an ESV and you look at the preface of your Bible, it details that that is why they translate doulos as servant. In fact, in several places in my Bible, my ESV, in which the term servant or bondservant is used, there's often a footnote that says, refer to the preface. We talked about that this morning in our Bible class as well. It's important to read the preface of your Bible, even though it's not inspired scripture, to better understand some of the translations that have been made so that you can understand that. Because understanding what the term doulos means, understanding that it is a slave, we need to understand this because the relationship that we have or should have with God is one of slave and master. The slave knows no law but his master's word. What his master says is the law. A slave has no rights of his own. A slave is the absolute possession of his master. And if you think back to the the dehumanizing, brutal institution that existed in America of slavery, you see those things. People were sold as property. They were owned. Owned. 
Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 19, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You see, we have been purchased. And we are possessed. Oh, that's probably not the best term to say. But we, we are God's possession. We're not possessed. But we are God's possession. And as a slave in a master relationship, a slave is bound to give his master unquestioning obedience. Think about what Jesus says in Luke 6, verse 46. He says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you to do? Jesus requires obedience. We have to come to Jesus on His terms, not our own. We can't make up our own terms in order to come to Jesus. Well, some denominations think that that's what they can do. They, they create their own way to get to Jesus. We have the path that Jesus detailed in order to get to Him. We have to come to Him on His terms because He purchased us with His blood. It's important to not lose sight of this relationship of slave and master that we have with our Lord. Another concept of servitude is that it, it involves absolute humility. You can't have absolute obedience without absolute humility. And when we have a humble opinion of ourselves, we are receptive to the idea of complete obedience. Think about Paul. There's several times, we're going to look at a couple here, in which Paul humbles himself, the way he views himself in relationship to Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians, if you're still there. Flip over to chapter 15. Look at verse 9. <clears throat> For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. Paul's saying, I am the least of the apostles. I persecuted all of them. All these other men that you call apostles, I persecuted them. But by God's grace, He made me an apostle. He called me. And so it doesn't matter if I present you a message or they present you a message, we are equal. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, Paul says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. He calls himself the very least of the saints. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he calls himself the foremost of sinners. 
It says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of which I am the foremost. Paul considers himself the least apostle, the least saint, and the chief sinner. But yet he wrote half of the New Testament. Does humility describe our relationship to Christ and His will? Jesus said in Luke chapter 17, verse 10, that humility is a key part of it. He says, So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. We need to consider ourselves unworthy. Because really, in all, in all reality, we are unworthy of God's grace. We're not worthy of the blessings that we've been given because we were all sinners. We were all enemies of God. But even so, He sent His Son to die for us. But if we murmur or complain about what Jesus tells us to do, can we really be called His servants? Another aspect or concept of servanthood is absolute loyalty. You see, we become servants freely. We choose to enter the servanthood. That's a decision that we have to make. It's not a decision that we're forced into. It's not a decision anybody else can make for us. But it's a decision that we make freely. And in so doing, it should be expected that we are loyal to Christ first and foremost. Look at Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Paul writes, For I am now seeking the approval of man, or I'm sorry, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You see, being a servant and being loyal means that we don't consider our own profit, or our own preferences to be anything of any importance. But we consider the profit and the preference of the one who we freely serve. Because that's what it means to be a servant. To do as they desire. To please them. And so when we think about our worship, and we think about how we come to God in our worship, we should do so in a manner that is pleasing to Him. Not to us. All too often, churches split, things are decided, and things happen in which worship changes in order to please us. Because I'm not entertained, or I come here and I sit through an hour every Sunday, or more, depending on how long the preacher dwells on and on and on. Don't laugh. I heard the snickers. But I'm not getting enough out of this. It's not, this isn't, I'm not feeling it. See, when we take worship and we put it into the, into, the, uh, into the idea of being pleasing to us, we lose sight of what worship is. And we lose sight of our loyalty and being pleasing to God. Because it's amazing how anyone can claim to be servants of the Lord while complaining about having to do the will of God. Or 
even being negligent or just lazy in carrying out His will. Yet some act as though they are being forced against their own will to do the will of God. They think that they don't have to serve God. I've been saved. I'm good. I don't have to do all these other things. I don't have to serve Him. I don't have to do things that are pleasing to Him because I've been saved now. I can do whatever I want. I can do what pleases me. You see, if we don't serve Jesus, the alternative, the alternative is that by default, we serve Satan. That's a truth. But God, by His grace, has offered salvation. And how dare we ever grumble or complain that He calls us to a life of service. So in closing this morning, that we not be negligent in our service, we need to be aware of some hindrances to servanthood. The first of which is serving the wrong master. Jesus warned us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, that we cannot serve both God and mammon. Mammon being wealth. Cannot serve both God and money. Luke chapter uh, 8, verse 14 says, And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Serving the wrong things will render us fruitless. And we've been called to bear good fruit, haven't we? Paul illustrated in Romans chapter 6, verse 16. We can only serve the one that we obey. He says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? He ends that with a question. I think it's a rhetorical question, but he asks sin, which leads to death or obedience, which leads to righteousness. If you have a hard time answering that question, see me after services. Keep your thumb there. If you're in Romans six, keep your thumb there. We'll come back. Another hindrance to servanthood is placing limitations on our service. This is something that Moses tried to do. Exodus 3, verse 10, God speaking to Moses says, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Of course, that whole, that whole scene at the burning bush is one giant excuse from Moses, always trying to find a way out of serving God. Many will serve God, but they may only do so when it's convenient to them. Something that Jonah did. Jonah was called by God to go to Nineveh in Jonah chapter 1. What did Jonah do? He went the opposite direction and fled to Tarshish. I just like saying Tarshish. If I can squeeze that into a sermon, I'm a happy man. Tarshish. Many will serve God, but not when it means serving others, especially those that they don't like, as with Jonah. 
You see, serving God doesn't... Times to serve God doesn't mean that it's going to be convenient to you. In fact, the times that you're really needed to serve God, it'll probably be the most inconvenient time. But that's where humility comes in. Another hindrance is simply having the wrong attitudes. We talked about this this morning in terms of how we study our Bibles. But one of those attitudes that exists is one of laziness. The Bible defines it as sluggishness, and in some cases it also defines it as lazy. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 11 through 12 says, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And if you look at Hebrews chapter 5, we looked at this this morning. That better be Jesus calling. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Oh, that's not what I'm looking for. I lost it. We talked about this morning about uh, those who were uh, should have been by the time that this um, letter was sent out. They should have been ready to teach and able to teach, but because they were lazy. Oh, here it is, verse eleven, chapter five, verse eleven. Said so we have a great deal to say about this, and it was difficult to explain since you have become too lazy to understand. Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. See, laziness and sluggishness is not a trait that a servant has. A good servant, I should say. Another poor attitude to have is being ungrateful. Being ungrateful often comes when we forget how graciously we have been blessed. Pick up a bulletin note this morning, and the bulletin article goes over that a little bit. But in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, we read just how blessed we truly are. Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not, account, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. If we forget how graciously we've been blessed, when we didn't deserve, we didn't deserve that. And we lose sight of that then we we become ungrateful. How many of us, when we go out to restaurants, expect service with a smile? How many of us look look at our servers and expect a good attitude, a good experience, a full glass of sweet tea all the time? Are you willing to give service with a smile as well to God? To always keep His glass full? Or are you too focused on your own cup being full? And that's the last 
negative attitude to have is pride or self-centeredness. Philippians chapter 1 talks about those who preached Christ out of envy. They did it with the wrong attitude. As we talked about last week in our Wednesday night classes, we're going through finishing up the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus talks in Matthew chapter 6 about those who do things, do righteous things in order to be recognized, in order for their own praise, in order for others to look at them and so that they can get the recognition. Jesus says they have received their reward. But that reward is just with men, and that benefits them none in heaven. Humility and unselfishness are basic prerequisites for servanthood. In our scripture reading this morning, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 11, it details all of that. I'm going to read it again. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus or at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, the Christian has been saved to serve. We have been called to serve God. We have been called to serve Christ. We have been called to serve His brethren and those who are in the world. And it is a noble and honorable calling, one that we should accept with humility and gratitude. If you've got your thumb still in Romans chapter 6, verse 16, go back there. Verse 16, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience? which leads to righteousness. If one chooses not to serve God, then they remain a slave to sin. And as Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. You're either a slave to God or you're a slave to sin. And the end of that slavery is eternal death. But when one chooses to serve God, their servitude leads to righteousness. And if you jump down there to Romans chapter 6, verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The end of our service to God is eternal life. But let us not miss verses 17 and 18. Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. 
lot of people look at Christmas and they think that the magic of Christmas comes in Santa. And this idea of getting presents because I've been good. See, I think the magic of Christmas is the fact that I've been given gifts when I wasn't good. I think of the magic of Christmas as serving others. Serving God, but also serving man as well. And being the lights in the world. Because when that child was born in Bethlehem, not only did a light come into the world, but a light shone above him, and it led people to him. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. Reflect on that this week. Reflect on that as we go into the new year. And hopefully, if you've fallen short in this, as I myself have, that you can find ways in which you can better serve God, better serve your brothers and sisters in Christ, and better serve those in the world. If you're here this morning and you haven't been set free from sin because of your decision to not obey, or perhaps you just need further study to better understand what it means to become a Christian, if we can help you with that this morning, if you desire to be baptized or you desire to have any other need that the church can assist you with, won't you come forward now while we stand and sing?